Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright, and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This episode is called Peak Barber. It was written and will be read here by Stuff National Correspondent Steve Kilgallen, who joins me now. Hi, Steve. Hi, Michael. Peak Barber, that's a funny phrase without any context. Give us some context. What's this story about? It's a bit of hyper-local journalism, I suppose. I live on the North Shore of Auckland, near a suburb called Birkenhead, and for years my friends have joked about the number of barbershops in Birkenhead, and after a while it struck me that there might be a story in it, and the more people I talked to, the more had had noticed that there's a lot of barber shops in this one small suburb. And when there was one friend in particular called it Peak Barber, which I thought was a funny line that we could use as the title of the story. Um, so I just set out to investigate why there were so many, essentially. You've kind of answered my next question, which was how did you come across all this? So is this, is this like a known phenomena on the North Shore? Well, I'm not sure how far it extends beyond our little patch of the shore. One of the appeals of doing the story was that it was... Um, very easy commuting distance to tell. It's, um, it's a kilometre up the road from my house and I actually knew several of the barbers already having been previous customers of them. So it was, it was a good one to get into, but as I started talking to them, I realised that there, there was a good story here to tell and um, it sort of radiated out in several directions. There was sort of different angles to explore. So I got quite involved in it by the end and spent quite a while wandering around Birkenhead, dropping into barber shops, trying to catch them between clients to have a chat. One of the things that struck me reading it was barbershops, barbering, if that's the right verb, is, excuse the pun, but a cutthroat business. It's a tough business to succeed in. Is that fair? I think so. I didn't get the sense that any of them were, were making millions out of this. Um, quite an easy industry to get into, I suppose. You need a chair, a pair of scissors, some clippers, and a, and a shop front, and you're away. So I think quite easy to get into, probably quite hard to do well out of, and there's 10 of them all cheek by jowl up at the shops, trying to compete in different ways, I suppose, at different ends of the, the market. Thanks, Steve. Now, here is Steve, with a touch of strong language, reading Peak Barber. One friend calls it Peak Barber. In the middle-class Auckland suburb of Birkenhead, just west of the Harbour Bridge, there's now 10 men's barber's shops within a 400-metre radius. Stand on the roundabout in a village shopping centre, and you can see the striped poles in most directions. At the corner barbers, Stephanie Smith had a customer recently who declared he was setting out to try every barber in the suburb. She was the first. So I said, I'll see you again in 12 months then. She stresses he was very happy with his haircut, so expects to see him sooner. My investigation soon established that all of the barbers had noticed. All of them were asked regularly why this unusual phenomenon had occurred and none had developed a satisfactory answer. Do you know why? Corner barber owner Laurel Hall asked me as we peered out of her plate glass window at the two rival shops opposite. I do now. Sort of. The answer, it turns out, is a complicated mix of a shifting male culture, the internet, the resulting rise of the service economy, the theory of cumulative attraction, and the butterfly effect of a repressive Iraqi regime dropping chemical weapons on the villages of North Kurdistan some two generations ago. On a mountainside above his home in Kurdistan, Amin Ismail watched the blooms of white smoke rise. At just 19 years old, he was a resistance fighter in the Peshwaga, 
a Kurdish militia fighting for independence from Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein's brutal government. The Kurdish genocide of 1987 to 1989, led by Hussein's cousin, Chemical Ali Hassan al-Majid, drove about 4,000 Kurds to flee to Pakistan. Ismail was one of those refugees. There was so much bloodshed, so much killing, he says. After two of his friends died, he fled first to Iran, where he spent a month in hospital recuperating from the effects of the chemical bombing. The United Nations then sent him to a refugee camp in Islamabad, the Pakistani capital. He says it was overcrowded, dangerous, and riddled with theft. But he quickly learned Urdu, and his combination of languages, Persian and Kurdish, saw him hired as a UN interpreter and given a house away from the camp. Ismail worked for the UN for five years, but says he found Pakistan a repressive society for his wife, who could barely leave the house without being harassed, and he didn't want his two sons growing up there. I am lucky my kids are growing up here, he says. I was very worried for them in Pakistan. It was a bad situation, afraid to go outside. People would stare at you. Then the UN said because he had worked for them, he could have a choice, the United States or New Zealand. Thinking New Zealand was in Europe, he chose to come here, arriving at the Refugee Resettlement Centre in Mangari in 2000. You have no money, no nothing, he says. They give you a house and a small benefit, so yes, it was very hard. But he found work in a Turkish bakery, his wages initially supplemented by work and income, and also passed his electrician's ticket. Barbering, though, ran in the family. His brother owned a shop back home and he was soon managing a five-seat shop in New Lynn. But he says local Muslim extremists discovered his background and began to harass him because members of the Peshwaga, the Kurdish militia, had renounced their faith, believing, first we have to have freedom, then we have religion. He says he was assaulted and had intimidating visits at home. One man even threatened to kill him. Police installed a panic button in the shop, Seeking a more peaceful life, his son gave him $10,000 to set up business, and he wound up, quite content, in Birkenhead Point, in a small unit in a 1930s concrete block not far from the wharf. Frightening as it is, Ismail's story isn't unusual. Two more Birkenhead barbershops are owned by families who, independently, took the same path, escaping the genocide first to Pakistan, then to New Zealand on the refugee quota. Coincidence? Not really, says Massey University professor Paul Spoonley. I'd got Spoonley, an expert in demographics, thinking about the barbershop explosion. He'd noticed it on a smaller scale in his native Browns Bay. It is, he thinks, an old tale rewritten for a new generation of migrants. Just as Vietnamese and Cambodians once began bakeries, Chinese started market gardens and laundries, and Indians bought dairies, Arrivals from the Middle East have found their own corner of the market. Spoonley calls it an ethnic-dominated niche business, characterised by a hard-working labour force recruited through family and friends. He says it has come coupled with the trend of the haircut as a ritual, an event. Once, he says, his hair was cut by much older men, then by women, and now he sees younger, cooler guys working the clippers. It's like when I watch UK football, Spoonley says. These guys are incredibly well paid, but with incredibly bad haircuts. That could be one reason why 10 barbers can coexist so closely, according to Megan Phillips, AUT lecturer in retail marketing. Men are visiting barbers more often and spending more money, she says. 
So what you might imagine is a fairly static market is actually expanding. Expectations have also grown beyond the short back and sides. Skin fades are big. The Barbershop Co. offers a lookbook, a catalogue of hairstyles, which includes a faux hawk and a V-fade with pompadour. The mullet, everyone says, is also back, although Barbershop Co. boss Andrew Garrett notes, we're not talking a dirty mullet, it's quite styled, it's all nicely blended, it's done like a proper haircut. A similar shift appears to have happened in Britain, where the term Turkish barbers, from both Turkey and Kurdistan, has come to describe not the ethnicity of ownership, but a deluxe style of barbering experience that includes the burning of stray hairs in nostrils and eardrums. It's also shorthand for a previously unfamiliar work ethic. One British barber told The Economist in 2017, The Turks keep us on our toes. Turks are willing to work seven days a week, and you've got to admire a man who does that. We've started trying to do that now. The Kurdish influence has become generational. Dylan Ali, 23, sits on the bench seat outside the shop he owns, ladies and gents, some 400 metres up the street from Ismail's place. Local MP Shannon Halbert walks past and exchange waves. Ali leaves his parents' home in Takanini, South Auckland, at 6.30am, driving an hour north to arrive early enough to start the day with a coffee and a vape. His theory for the Middle Eastern dominance in barbering is that soldiers there have to be very clean-shaven, so their barbers have perfected the cutthroat shave. Ali's shop was originally called simply Gents, operating out of a smaller unit next door, and he was an employee. His dad asked if he would rather be his own boss and helped him buy the business. Last year, Ali signed a five-year lease on this bigger unit. Now his stepmother, Lamia, provides the ladies' part of the expanded title. Ali gets his own haircut at a cousin's shop in Browns Bay, and his uncle owns a constantly shifting number of shops in South and West Auckland. I don't know what else I would have done, he says. Maybe a trade? He got into barbering working for his uncle on weekends for pocket money then did a three-month course at the Mr. Barber training school in the city. I started saving some money and just didn't stop, he says. It's something I enjoy. You go through 50 to 100 people a week, so you get all those different stories. Nearly five shop fronts down Birkenhead Avenue is the appropriately named Happy Barber. His $15 seniors cuts are some of the cheapest in the village. Owner Mustafa Wasta explains, Old ones do not have too much hair so I'm not happy to charge the normal rate. It's called Happy Barber because we are happy here, Waster says. I am working with my wife and before I had a hard job, and now it is close to my retirement. If a customer is happy, I am. For 18 years, he owned a kebab shop in Glen Innes and says it meant long hours. He turned 65 this year but plans to keep working past retirement because, he says, wife Kelly is much younger. They have two children, aged 11 and 12. Guasta arrived here in 1997 from Kurdistan via Iraq and Pakistan. He says he likes New Zealand's small population, multiculturalism and its peace. Kelly Wasta came a decade later when she married him. She was a barber in the Kurdish capital, Erbil. Does she like working with her husband? Yes, of course, she smiles. I just wish we could have a day off together. He works Saturdays, she works Sundays. I don't feel like I'm from Kurdistan anymore, she says. I feel like I'm from New Zealand. It is so friendly. Hi, Michael Wright here. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, maybe you'd like to check out one of our others. Collapse is the story of the CTV building, which collapsed in the Christchurch earthquake in 2011, killing 115 people. We have a building on fire with persons trapped that we're trying to get out. It's the story of one tragedy in a city full of them, about how a building went up. It shouldn't have got through council. How it came down. And this level collapsed first. The people who were saved. She went from, I'm going to die, to a realisation, I'm going to live. And the 115 who weren't. This is a grown man in tears because they couldn't rescue these people. It's also a story about a search for the truth. Why did one unremarkable office building in the central city collapse like no other? How did almost two-thirds of Christchurch's entire earthquake death toll die in this one building? And most of all, was anyone responsible? Go to stuff.co.nz slash collapse or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If I don't get fire service here soon, they're going to die from fire. The internet has had a corrosive effect on the suburban high street. If you can buy something cheaper and easier online, then the shops that once sold that product are going to suffer. Andrew Hay, a local who gets his hair done at all cuts, is chairman of the Auckland branch of the Property Council and general manager of commercial at Stride Property. He says shops that prosper now are those that do things the internet can't replicate. That's services. So while Birkenhead has no bookshop, sports shop, hardware store, or big brand clothing chain. It has an oversupply of coffee shops, nail bars, hairdressers, and, yes, barbers. While encircled by wealthy suburbs, Birkenhead Centre itself isn't particularly affluent. The mall's star tenant, the warehouse, departed in the middle of 2020. Its former space sat empty until it was recently replaced by a coronavirus vaccination centre. Hay says Birkenhead lacks a landmark retailer that would influence its orbit. The shops around the mall, he says, are likely owned by a variety of smaller landlords, meaning no exclusivity clauses and leases to give one barber dominance. Rents are probably low, allowing a small barbering business to be profitable. But Hay suspects peak barber may soon be over. You're starting to see an evolution in Birkenhead, he says. Craft beer, better quality cafes and more intensification. And I think as more and more residents are living immediately in the area, they will demand better amenities on their doorstep. Once there's more demand for different uses, they will pop up. That hollowing out of traditional retail has left a very different looking high street to the one on which Horace Diddy Burford opened his combined barber, tobacconist and lottery shop in 1930. Back then, Corner Barber was the only show in town and in the heart of the depression, Diddy was the only one of six siblings with a job. 91 years later, it's still run by his daughter, Laurel Hall, a former Miss Birkenhead, who took over in 2006 after first Horace, then her mother Audrey, passed away. She removed the tobacco counter, but much remains the same, and the shop prides itself on tradition. They still offer bay rum and cologne with every cut. We are, she says, a family barber. We get from tiny tots to their 90s. We've got to be versatile and also able to talk to that age range. You've got to be able to talk to these kids about what they like for lunch and the older ones about their operations. 
Asked about what's changed, Hall takes the approach of former Chinese communist leader Cho Enlai, who, in one apocryphal tale, was asked about the impact of the 1789 French Revolution and replied it was too soon to tell. Hall says the biggest impact was the way Beatles-inspired teenagers deserted barbers for hairdressers in the 1960s. With such a long view of history, she seems fairly unperturbed by her new rivals. Yes, she agrees there's been an impact, but she still has regulars who've been coming here for 30 years. Around the corner, Bob Singh, a 22-year veteran of Birkenhead Barbering, is cheek by jowl with one of the newer arrivals, Maxi Barber, but is equally optimistic. The reason why people get into barbering, says Singh, before breaking into song, is money, money, money. They think it's fast money, so people come in with the least experience and the job is not done right. Singh considers he has a higher calling. As a four-year-old sweeping the shop floor, he learned literally at the feet of his father, the late Peter Anand Singh, in Suva, Fiji. I saw my father cutting hair, talking, laughing, smiling at people from all over the world, he says. Barbering is in the bloodstream. What else can you do? Singh's waist-length dreadlocks, combined with shaved sides and a dyed purple flat top, a look he curates himself, were last shorn two decades ago as part of the morning ritual for his father, who shaved the last scalp of his 45-year career on the day he died. Singh shows off a photo of his daughter, aged about eight, helping out in the shop. But his three children have embarked on careers in engineering, plumbing and health science. My kids are all office fellas, he says. I thought they would follow me. Instead, he will try and recruit his grandchildren. He's proud, though. My boy is 21 and he's on a hundred bucks an hour, he says. A hundy at 21. At 21, I was a real rough dog. That was when Singh left Fiji a happy-go-lucky boy, and after stints in a supermarket, the sugar works and on the doll, he returned to the family profession and opened Bob the Barber. He works, he says, seven days until 7pm, alone, based on the advice of his father. In this game, there is no prime time. After work, he DJs on a Fijian Indian radio station. Since the warehouse's closure, he says, trade has dropped and he describes rent as a killer but he's confident the burst of apartment building locally will bring new clients and has expansive dreams of installing a tattooist and a masseur in the back room. My store, he says, looking around at the breeze-blocked walls, is in the island way. Everything is old school. Having cut the hair of senior cops, lawyers, footballers and league players, he considers himself to be among the country's top ten barbers. This is based on his Facebook page where he says he has 148 five-star reviews out of 150, giving him a 98% rating. Two fellas give me shit, he says. Opponents, you know. I love my work. I have pride in my work. I make people look good. Hi, I'm Michael Wright, host of The Long Read. If you're an advertiser and you like what you're hearing, you could help us keep making podcasts like this one. Thousands of people listen to Stuff Podcasts every day. So if you'd like to be part of one of New Zealand's biggest and best podcast platforms, go to advertise.stuff.co.nz slash audio and get in touch with us. Back to the show. When you see furniture stores, car dealers, dumpling shops or bike retailers clustered together, it's because of the law of cumulative attraction. 
As consumers, we like the idea of comparison shopping across a range of stores in one place. But Megan Phillips, the marketing lecturer from AUT, says she's never seen that before with barber shops. As she puts it, you're just going to get a haircut. But she thinks a version of cumulative attraction is at work in Birkenhead. If you turn up and one barber is busy, you know you'll get a cut somewhere. She calls it reduced risk of uncertainty. Dylan Ali from Ladies and Gents agrees. People don't like waiting here, he says. It's different out south. People wait an hour, hour and a half. Here, people wait five minutes and walk out. Phillips suspects another theory is at play. Retail gravitation law. This posits that a greater number of barbers would create a larger pull, perhaps sucking in customers from many kilometres away. A third theory is that the shops have, unintentionally, managed to segregate the market between themselves, each striving to offer something different. Paul Bartolo is a subscriber to that last idea. At his shop, Bespoke Barbers and Vintage, he wanted to create something unique, and he knew almost the precise location he wanted. Not in the middle of the shops competing with the $15 a cut guys, not down the hill. Somewhere part way, nestled among the homes of the wealthy of Birkenhead Point, the promontory which juts into the harbour south of the main village. I didn't want guys coming in saying, how much do you charge for a haircut, mate? Bartolo says. Oh, you're a bit busy. I'll go next door. I wanted them coming in for a specific reason. Bartolo took half the shop next door too, filling it with an esoteric mix of antiquities, from 1930s rugby programmes to champagne Jeroboams in old baseball caps. He'd sold some stuff, a signed photo of Peter Fonda, a piece of the sail from the 1995 America's Cup boat Black Magic, a 1960s tennis racket, one of those velveteen pictures of a matador, and some movie props. He'd been offered some stuff. One guy came in with a coffin. Because I'm not a dealer, Bartolo says, I don't know what things are worth, and quite often they want a lot of money. What do you pay for a coffin? The antiques aren't really designed to make him money, but to contribute to the highly cultivated aesthetic he's aiming for. Fifteen years ago, he says, he couldn't have done this. The evolution of barbering, and the way men feel about themselves, is where this shop has ended up. It has allowed barbering and design to collide, if you like. Bartolo is almost 60, although he looks 40, and dresses with the panache of a younger man. Striped t-shirts, colourful bowler hats. He trained at the famous Moulton Brown hairdressers in his native London and ran his first Auckland shop in inner city Kingsland in the early 90s. Tex-Mex, he says, all terracotta tiles and giant cacti in pots. Not sure what I was thinking. That grew to three shops, then he owned four with 17 staff in Melbourne. Then he came back, owned a couple more, then opened the city centre Bespoke Barbers, often used in television programmes and advertisements. For six years, he says, it was everything I could dream of in a barber shop. Then Covid came. Business dropped 40%. Outside on O'Connell Street, Bartolo says, you could fire a gun down it. It just evaporated in front of us. The vibe had gone. In late 2020, he closed up and came here, to Birkenhead Point walking distance from home. Business is already booming, he says. The previous Saturday he worked non-stop from 9.30am to 4pm, 
without even a cup of tea. 18 haircuts. You know what, he says? That's what you've got to do. Bartalo says this with the authority of one who knows a striped pole isn't enough. On a quiet weekend, he'll do a leaflet drop with his kids. He sends a weekly email to customers. You do six months of really hard work to get established, he says. It doesn't matter what it takes, you just do it. You have to put this amount of energy into it. Has he still got the endurance for all that? More than ever, he says. Age is irrelevant if your body is in shape. It's your mindset. I come in the shower in the morning thinking, man, this is going to be tough. But by the time 10 o'clock comes, I'm set. That enthusiasm is born from a simple belief. Barbering has to be the best and the coolest job in the world, Bartolo says, if you like people. It keeps you in the game. Whoever you're dealing with, you've got to be able to converse. He used to prepare by reading the paper. Now, he finds current affairs are on the sex, politics and religion list. Don't talk about it. He aims to stay upbeat with a carefully cultivated playlist in the background. And he's reassured, he says, by the fact he's built something he likes. If other people like it, that's inspiring. His cuts, complete with imported Italian shaving cream and Turkish razor blades, are more expensive. But he reckons what he has is different. And if another two shops open like this, he says, I would change it. Think Bowie. Except there was only one Ziggy Stardust. They can do it, Bartolo says, but they can't do it. Because nobody is in the same headspace. This is authentic because it came out of my brain. If I go copy someone else, I can't make that work because it's not authentic. Peak Barber has its winners and its losers. Just before Christmas, Carl Herkham of B&M Barbers heard Paul Bartolo was back in the village. He took a walk down the road and as soon as he saw the signage going up, he knew it was Bartolo. I said, are you opening up over the road? You're a bastard. There's no malice in Herkham's voice when he tells me this. In fact, he's smiling. He doesn't blame Bartolo's arrival for the demise of B&M Barbers, even though an unfortunate issue with TripAdvisor and the single street number between their shops meant he'd had some people wandering in looking for his competitor. Ten minutes into our conversation, a bloke did just that, and Herkham issued cheerful directions. One guy realised only when he was in the chair and said Herkham may as well carry on. I said, you've saved some money. Herkham worked for Bartolo about two decades ago and bought Bartolo's city centre shop off him when he left for Australia. Herkham ran it for about a decade, then sold it himself to a bloke who cold called him and offered about $45,000, twice what he thought it was worth. It paid the deposit on his first home in New Lynn. In May 2021, Herkham's two-year lease in Birkenhead ran out. He decided not to renew. Such is life, he says. It was the uncertainty he couldn't handle. After the second lockdown, he resolved that the third would finish him. After each, he made his losses back quickly, but trade then flattened and dropped. It was October 2020 when things went dead. One day, nobody came in at all. At Christmas, Herkin realised sales were down 30%. Like Bob Singh, he blames the closure of the warehouse and the exit of the local ANZ, Kiwi Bank, BNZ and post office branches. On the last day of April, 
Herkham closed B and M's doors for the last time. After eight years barbering in the area, he wasn't ready to walk away completely, mainly because of his regulars, like my 11-year-old son, Henry. So now he's renting a chair in the next door lady's salon, which he hoped was a much less stressful setup. Herkham has the sunniest of personalities, but he'd had trouble sleeping in the final few months of trading. If I wake up at 3am or 4am, that's it, he says, and we'll wake the rest of the night. It can be little, minor, stupid things, like where shall I take the dog for a walk? Or do I need to charge up the security cameras? Then I get to work and I think, why was I worrying about that at 3am? The best evidence for Megan Phillips's theory that barbering is a growth industry comes from the Barbershop Co. Kiwis love a franchise business. Conceived in 2015, the Barbershop Co. has already grown to 24 North Island shops. When it moved into Birkenhead, the other barbers, all owner-operators, seemed mildly suspicious. And Andrew Garrett, the Birkenhead franchisee, freely admits he's not a barber. He stumbled on the business when looking online for a new barber after the one he used in Newmarket closed down. There was a button at the top of the homepage saying, Own your own. He clicked on it. Nine times out of ten, he says, people would look at that and say no, but I thought, stuff it. Filled in the form and got a call from the boss. Garrett had just been made redundant from his job as finance business partner at the real estate chain Harcourts. And while he'd never cut anyone's hair, and still hasn't. He'd always liked the idea of owning his own business. He'd talked for years about maybe doing a cafe, but this seemed low risk, and he understood how franchises worked. Trade is good, he says, and he has no desire to go back to the nine-to-five. He's just hired a fourth barber. His two male, two female staff comprise a Kiwi, a Macedonian, a Colombian, and an Englishwoman. He has a sunny disinterest in his rivals. They are competition, in that they're cutting hair, he says. I could spend my days worrying about that, or do what we do, and we know that works. We make sure that every single client that comes through the door, we aim to exceed their expectations every single time. We can be ridiculously busy, and a whole lot of people waiting, but for that 20 minutes, the client is the total focus for that barber. It's a tough job, says Garrett, the outsider, on the inside. It's not for everyone. You've got to be mentally on the ball and on your feet for eight hours. It is hard work, and I think some people probably think it's a bit easy. They all agree that's the secret. People skills. For Paul Bartolo, the barber's chair is a priest's confessional. They want you to know what they want you to know, he says. You keep it within the four walls. He had one man come in who regularly talked about his wife, then about his new girlfriend, then about how he's back with his wife. It's a service industry, Bartolo says. It's not just cutting hair. It's what keeps all of them in the job. I love it, says Laurel Hall. I love the people. Recently, there was a post on the local community Facebook page about how one of the village bakeries was closing down. I wonder what will go there wrote one wag. Another barber shop?
That was Peak Barber on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Steve Kilgallen and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was mixed by Sam Scannell. Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on The Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.